We're on uh, Mark chapter 3 and verse 13 to 19. Uh, just seven verses, but so full of um, precious things. The title that I'd like to give the talk, just from those seven verses, is Nine Steps That Change the World. Nine Steps That Change the World. Um, there were more steps in the process, but from these verses, I think we can identify nine. I'll say what they are, and then you can observe them as we read the passage. And actually, I'd like, because it's such a short passage, I'd like to read all accounts of this story. It's the appointment of the apostles. Um, so we'll read it from Mark first, then Matthew, and then Luke. But here's the nine steps. Desired, prayed, chosen, called, drawn, designated, acquainted, qualified, and sent. I'll give you them again. Desired, prayed, chosen, called, drawn, designated, acquainted, qualified, and sent. <coughs> Let's read Mark 3, uh, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James son of Zebedee and his brother John, to them he gave the name Bergness, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, which is a parallel passage. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is also called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out. And then Luke 6, verse 12. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas, who became a traitor. I didn't really expect you to remember the nine, so I'll kind of try and link them. But um, the first one was desired, and they don't necessarily feature in this order in the readings we've had. And by the way, we have to read all three accounts to get the nine steps. Um, and that's a, 
the beauty of, of having four Gospels. Same story, no contradictions, just from a different uh, perspective. So you read, read them all and you get a full picture. Um, the first one is desired, and I'm picking that from Mark. Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Really interesting expression. He wanted or desired. And um, I just love that, that here was something, people, that the Lord Jesus wanted. I put it first because the next one is prayed. So he has the desire and we get prayed uh, from Luke's account. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying and then the following morning he chose his disciples. So we've got desired, um, prayed, chosen. That was the whole purpose of um, what this account is about. There was a crowd of disciples and he chose for a special purpose, 12 of them. And then he, he called them, Jesus went up, Mark 3, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Um, next one was drawn and it says they came to him. That's a really interesting expression. I don't know whether you've ever wondered um, how Noah managed to gather all those animals for his ark. And you, you see um, pictures of, I guess, him drawing things, you know, the, the animals together or instructing them to come in. It's a really interesting verse. It's in um, Genesis chapter 7. And it says the animals came to him. It was a miracle. He didn't have to go and find them. But by God's controlling power, those animals were drawn. And I was trying to work out in this account, what would it be like? Would, would there be a hundred people and, and Jesus would say, yeah, come here <laughs> and um, you know, leave the others behind. I'm not, I can't be dogmatic about it, but there was a drawing. It says they, he called them and they came to him. And I just think it's uh, evidence of God's sovereignty, a real calling, and the heartfelt response that means they went. Um, next one was appointed, and we have that um, expression. Uh, actually, it's in verse 14 of Mark 3, it's two words. He appointed 12, designating them as apostles. Maybe that's a 10th step, the appointing and the designating, but they're very, very similar. And that's giving them uh, a special name or label. In some versions it says he named them as apostles. So they were given uh, a very um, precise and distinctive job title, an apostle. You need to understand this is distinct from other disciples. So there were many disciples, we get that from Acts 1, 120 or something, that's mentioned in one group. But amongst those disciples were those he designated, named as apostles. The next one was acquainted. And I get that from verse 14 of Mark 3, that they may be with him. So there was an element of direct acquaintance 
required. You could perhaps put acquaintance slash training with that one because the reason for them being with him was that he might rub off onto them in a kind of um, mentor apprenticeship. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, isn't it? They became his apprentices. And then it says that the next one was qualified. So he um, gave them authority. So they were acquainted with him. The out result of that is they were enabled and became qualified. And then he sent them. It says that uh, explicitly in all of those uh, three passages. We'll come to the response in a second. But I want us to think about ourselves in the context of um, where we are today as disciples of the Lord Jesus. He desired us. I believe he's prayed and continues to pray for us. We're chosen, called, drawn, designated, given the opportunity to be acquainted with him, which qualifies us and we're sent. We're not apostles. We'll come to that in a second. But nevertheless, those things apply to us. I've got four or five key messages that I'd like us just to touch on very briefly. And the first we get from Luke's account, and it's that really important contextual point that the night prior to his selection and his designation of his apostles, he spent the night in prayer. It's not an original thought, I'm sure we've heard of it before, but um, what would have been the object of his prayer, the subject of his prayer the night before, the whole night? And I think we can safely conclude that it was this crucial matter of selecting from the wider group of disciples the 12 that he would designate as apostles. We'll, we'll try a definition of apostles in a second. But I just didn't want to overlook the crucial point that the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity, just like us, is dependent on prayer. Sometimes we feel perhaps that because he is omniscient and knows everything, then prayer was unnecessary. What's the point of praying if you know everything? And I think that the lesson we have from Philippians 2, which is about the um, humanity of the Lord Jesus, him being divine and, and never compromising that, but coming down to take on human form, something had to give. And I think it was um, the knowledge, uh, this is holy ground, because what do I know? But we have to infer from this amazing truth of the incarnation that there were things that the Lord Jesus um, let go of in the process of becoming like us. And I think that he became a man of faith. Uh, faith is seeing what you hope for and being certain of what you can't um, see. Is that the right? It's, it's Hebrews 1, isn't it? And 1. Being certain of what you hope for. Um, the Lord Jesus, in his human experience, 
I think, just like us, had to live by faith. And that means there were certain things that, because of his human character, he had to learn. And one of those, amongst many, was what would happen next. So for him, it wasn't as though he knew, you know, because he had hindsight of, of who the Twelve would be. It was a very real decision that he had to make. And part of that decision process required him to be before his father in prayer, looking for guidance. Um, I just don't want us to overlook the wonder of the Lord Jesus living as a man of faith. It says in Hebrews that he is the um, author and perfecter of faith. It's quite a, uh, a title and perhaps hard for us to fully understand the implications of it. But I do think that if he's going to be able to um, live like we live and understand in every way what it's like to be human, then he, he would also need to be a man of faith and that's demonstrated by his need to pray I'll just leave that thought with you second point um, we're in the business of recognising the Lord Jesus designating 12 of his disciples as apostles so important that we might understand what an apostle is and then consider whether there's such a thing today so there were clearly a, a special criteria um, verse 14 and 15 it says that they had to be with him and I think that is this sense of having a special opportunity and close relationship with Jesus so that he was um, with them in an environment where they could be his apprentices and learn from him and learn about his mission and learn about the contribution that they had to make, they would have to make in terms of them being his ambassadors. That's what apostle can mean. It's someone who is um, distinct from an ordinary disciple and um, chosen for a special mission or purpose. So they had to be with him, and I use that word acquaintance. It was something that was the privilege of a few. Um, that he might send them, that was a, a really key thing. So again, an element of this, what an apostle, an apostle is, it's about being specially selected and sent for a specific purpose. Another element is that they might be given a special authority and we have that in all three passages. In Mark, it is limited, it seems, to have authority to drive out demons. But when we get to um, Matthew, he expands that. And it's to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness. So it would seem that one of the abilities of an apostle was to have miraculous gifts. So they could do things that otherwise were impossible to do. Specifically the casting out of demons, which seemed like a very important element of what was going on at the time. 
but also the ability to heal, I love that expression, every disease and sickness. So they weren't physicians specialising in, in a certain a, a medical area, but they were given authority and power to perform miraculous um, healings. And then the last one is to preach. That's a bit obvious, but that, that's there as well. So they were with him, I think, physically as his apprentices, so kind of close intimacy there. Um, they were sent by him personally. They were given special power and authority to perform miraculous signs and the mission was to preach. Who were they? Really interesting point. At this stage, there were 12, and we've, we've read the, the 12 names three times. Um, but there were more than 12 apostles. We have, when Judas um, was taken away from the scene, we have in Acts 1, they replaced him with Matthias. So there's arguably apostle number 13, although perhaps Judas shouldn't be included in the 12, so maybe we're... Um, we're still talking about 11 plus 1. But then you have Paul, who was very passionate about his eligibility to be an apostle. And you can read about that in Galatians 2. He was outlining his qualifications for those who were a bit sceptical. So I think that the criteria that we read from Mark 3 um, can be applied in a special way to Paul. Barnabas is also identified as an apostle. You can read about that in Acts 14, verse 14. We have Paul referring to Timothy and Silas, to the, his letter to the church in Thessalonians, in, in Thessalonica, as um, apostles. So the group is expanding, isn't it, from beyond the twelve. We have Andronicus and Junius, who are described as outstanding among the apostles. And we read about that in Romans 16. It's a brilliant chapter. Paul is listing all his people, that, all the people that he served with. And these two in particular, he designates as apostles. And then there's a hint in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that James, the writer of the epistle and half-brother of the Lord, that he also was counted amongst the apostles and I'm left thinking, well, if James, the half-brother, was an apostle, then what about Judas? Sorry, what about Jude, who wrote the uh, epistle uh, from Jude, who also was a half-brother of the Lord? So uh, it expands. And I think the point I'm making is that there were others beyond the Twelve um, who were designated apostles. But we have this expression, don't we? That's the apostolic era. And... We've left that behind and there are other things that we have access to. The main one is the complete um, word of God, the New Testament scriptures. And we have that that um, is all we need as his witnesses to do what he's chosen for us to do or what he's determined for us to do. So things like miraculous signs were... For the most part, I'm not saying they don't happen today, but for the most part, really of the apostolic era. 
And of course, if one of the qualifications was a special encounter, acquainting an acquaintance with the Lord Jesus, then that isn't something we, we can experience today in the same way. A bit hesitant about that, because some that are designated apostles uh, that Paul talks about, you know, did they have experience in the company of the Lord? Um, unlikely. However, clearly in those days there were apostles and today I'm going to suggest to you that that's not um, something that um, is evident amongst disciples of the Lord Jesus. The third point is I wanted to touch about uh, on Jesus choosing Judas, the one who would betray him as an apostle. It's really interesting. I, I wonder whether this was the element in his prayer the night before that he was really struggling with. It's a, it says in John 6 that, I quote, For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. It's a really powerful thing. So having spent um, just a short time with these disciples... And he knew he had to select 12 who would be designated for special um, purposes. Um, one of them was, was Judas. And makes me ask the question, why would he knowingly, he knew Judas was dodgy from the beginning. Why would he include him amongst this special group? And the conclusion I came to was there's an important lesson for us to learn about the possibility of imposters being amongst us. It's a kind of strange word. But people who claim they believe and don't and have another agenda. But for all intents and purposes, they, they look like the real thing. I don't know how transparent it was to the other di disciples or apostles that Judas was a, uh, an imposter. Was in the end. But um, just a really important and solemn lesson for us to learn how credible is our experience with the Lord. Um, those apostles, at least the first 12, were physically with him. That doesn't mean to say that we can't have uh, that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's, a, it's at the heart of being a Christian. And if we haven't got that real experience, then kind of a question mark over our own thinking is how how is our spiritual integrity as a, a disciple, as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Another thing is that Judas, it became evident that the real Judas was exposed by his attitude, stealing money and actually not having an orientation about doing what the Lord Jesus wanted. Um, there has to be evidence, doesn't there, of a changed life if someone is a real Christian kind of makes me reflect back also to my own situation. How changed am I uh, compared to what I would have been otherwise? It's a difficult question to ask because who, answer because who knows? But I think there's value here in being very transparent and honest between ourselves and God about the genuineness of our spiritual experience. The fact that Judas was there um, I think is there for as a lesson for us to consider. 
what did the apostles accomplish? We've got 12 plus apostles from the first century. What did they accomplish? I googled how many genuine Christians have there ever been? <laughs> and curiously, the answer I got back was from someone who was clearly a, a Christian skeptic. He didn't sound like a Christian to me, just by some of the other things he said. But generously, sorry, conservatively, he estimated about 14 billion in 2,000 years. That was what the apostles accomplished. And special to that, and we, we celebrate the wonder of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but special to that is the existence of a community around the world which is called the Churches of God. We're a part of that. It's a small community. And it's now outliving that first century group of Churches of God. Um, that's a, a result, an accomplishment of the apostles' teaching. And we, we celebrate that together. You know, some of the apostles have a high profile um, and that it's clear who they are and they lasted to write um, letters and stuff which are now part of the New Testament canon. Some of them have very low profile. You don't really know what happened to them, but um, they're part of the success of the 14 plus billion, billion Christians that ever existed. I wanted to finish by just saying so what what what's in this for us it's a, a great great to consider the lord and the 12 apostles and then those that followed but what about those nine or ten steps that changed the world and what part do i have in it i just wanted to read three verses of scripture that point to our special calling First one is as individuals, and I would take us to Ephesians 1 verse 3. And although this is a letter to a church of God, so it's, it's a letter to disciples in a church together, I think it applies to individuals. And it says, verse, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. What an amazing thing. And that's something that we just embrace and delight, and it's a reason to worship. So... We might not be designated as apostles, I don't think we are, but nevertheless we claim um, those nine steps that change the world are something that we can also um, engage with and the first being the wonder of us being his desire and as a consequence being called and then all of the other things that have happened because of what the Lord Jesus has accomplished. The second verse is in 1 Peter, and we celebrate our individual call, but now 2 Peter talks about something more than an... 1 Peter, sorry, more than our individual call. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter's writing to God's elect. 
brilliant expression, strangers in the world and scattered throughout, and then he goes and lists a whole range of places, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. That last expression, the sprinkling of his blood, takes us out of the individual and into the collective because it's a reference back to the covenant relationship that God had with his people. It wasn't the blood that went on the doorposts to, in the escape from Egypt. It was blood sprinkled on the people and it was a demonstration of his covenant with them as a people. And in First Peter, we're learning that we're chosen, we're sanctified and were to be obedient. I love the, um, the Trinity involvement, <coughs> chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. What about um, how effective are we as individuals, but also as his people? And I would go to John 15, verse 16, and way over time let's just um, have this as our last verse it's profound it's Jesus in the upper room you didn't choose me but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last this is my command love each other I think um, the, the 14 billion is impressive but actually an important a high profile command of the Lord Jesus and it's, it's linked with fruit bearing is that we should love each other and I just leave that with, with as, a, as a parting point now we're celebrating the wonder of our calling as disciples of the Lord and our opportunity to serve together and um, how are we getting on with that and where's the evidence for it and I, I would suggest the starting point is how we get on with each other and do we demonstrate that we love each other? And we each can be the judge of that, perhaps, but I just leave that thought, thought with you.